Amen. Wonderful. All right. Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go back to the little book of Jonah. All right. Jonah chapter 4 this morning. And as you're finding your place there, I want to remind you once again, all right, when it comes to this little book of Jonah, most people are familiar with Jonah and the whale. That's right. But this little book of Jonah is not just a story about a man and a whale, as amazing as it is. No, this has much more to do about God. We learn more about the Lord in this little book of the Bible than we ever will about Jonah or we ever will about a great fish. You see, we learn more about God's power and His mercy and His forgiveness, His compassion, His kindness, His foresight, His wisdom. You see the heart of God for the whole world to come to know Him as their Savior. Listen, we learn so much more about the Lord than we do about Jonah and the whale. And I hope you've learned something uh, through this study together. We're quickly coming to an end of it. I'm going to, I'm not sure if this is going to be the last one, at least one more, maybe at least one more, but uh, as we consider Jonah. But I hope you've learned something from this little book of the Bible. Maybe you didn't know previously, all right? And, and maybe you, you know something I don't know. Please teach me. I'm willing to learn. I always want to be teachable, you know? But there's so much to learn from, from this little book of the Bible. But so far as we've looked into Jonah, we, uh, we saw that Jonah was given a command from the Lord, and that was to what? That was to go. He was to go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh and preach that great city, the preaching God bidded to him. And he was just simply to obey. He was to obey the simple and clear command of the Lord, but for one reason or another, we know this, that Jonah disobeyed God's command. He uh, clearly disobeyed God's will for, for his life. But however, in the midst of our rebellion, God does not just leave us there, at least leave us there comfortably, all right? Uh, remember, as believers, we cannot sin and win, all right? He's not going to leave you or I comfortable in our rebellion. No, he begins to deal with us. He begins to work in our midst and work in our hearts to correct us, but he does so with love and for a purpose, because God still had a purpose for Jonah. He still wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. And so though it took some time and a little doing and chastening the stubborn servant, we finally see Jonah in chapter 2 cry unto the Lord. He began to pray. He finally turned to the Lord. He got right with his God. And after getting right with the Lord, Jonah received a recommission from the Lord to go back to Nineveh. So Jonah... Armed with that recommission, armed with that fresh forgiveness and fresh mercy and fresh purpose, he marches into Nineveh and preaches to these people 40 days. And yet Nineveh shall be overthrown. I believe also he added in there, salvation is of the Lord, because that's really the theme theme text of the whole book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2 verse 8. Salvation is of the Lord. How else would they know to turn to the Lord if they didn't talk about Him, right? But... But he began to preach to these, these people, and something amazing happened. As he preaches the message, an evangelistic campaign like no other, multitudes of people turning to the Lord and repenting and getting right. And I dare say true revival, real one, broke out there in Nineveh. And as you come to chapter 4, you would think that Jonah would be on cloud 9. He would be praising the Lord, full of joy, unspeakable, Right? 
But we don't find that as we come to chapter number 4. We don't find a joyful Jonah or a pleased prophet. Rather, who we find and what we find when we come to chapter 4 is we discover a very angry individual. We find a prophet of God so full of rage and anger and wrath because he's angry against, yes, Nineveh, doing the right thing, but also I believe he's even angry against God. So in chapter 4, we find a resentful Jonah. And in the midst of this anger, we saw last time that the Lord began to try to draw him back through uh, convicting questions. Doest thou well to be angry? We'll see that again as God repeats himself. But uh, through convicting questions, as we saw last time, he did it through tenderness and kindness as God prepared a gore to overshadow the head of Jonah to block out the midday sun, still trying to encourage him, minister to him, even as the Bible says here in Jonah 4, to his grief, to minister to his, to his grief. I mean, God was showing himself so good to Jonah. He really was. Even though Jonah is pitching a fit like a toddler and pouting, temper tantrum really. But God has shown himself so kind and so tender and so good. And you would think Jonah would have responded to this kindness of the Lord in a, at least a favorable, favorable way. You would think that Jonah would say, you know, the Lord's so good to me. You know, I just, I just need to re- obey and, and, and return that goodness and be good back to God. You, you know, just, just do what God wants me to do. You would think you would see that. That would be his response. You would think the goodness of God would lead him to that kind of repentance. But you don't see that here. No, we see this. In Jonah chapter 4, and verse number, number 5, we'll read down through verse number 9. After the Lord said, Doest thou well to be angry? Verse number 5. So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and under in the shadow, till he might see what would come of the city. He wants to see if God's going to actually forgive them, or will he destroy them? Verse 6. Lord God prepared a gourd, made it come up over Jonah, and my, my shadow over his head, to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd, but God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. And it came to pass. When the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? It sounds familiar, don't it? As he said that earlier on in this chapter. Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. The Lord was trying to paint a picture, show him really the goodness and kindness he had shown towards Jonah, but now he's still angry. He's just spouting off his anger and vitriol. You know, really he was. And so why are you angry, man? Why are you so so angry. Last time we saw, as we consider these verses, we saw the Lord's continued tenderness. We saw the Lord's continued teaching to Jonah. And I just didn't finish last time. So I want to finish today. And here's what I want to look at. I want to spend the rest of time here. But here's what I want to look at this morning. I want to say this. Jonah's continued temper. Jonah's continued temper. Now, for someone to continue in their anger, for someone to continue with being uh, wrathful and, and just this type of attitude and temper. Even after the loving and tender care of the Lord and the patience of our great God to instruct and teach Jonah, 
for someone to continue this way, especially for someone who knows the Lord and especially for someone who is a servant of God to continue. You may have your moments, but to continue this way, even after God has been working in your heart and working in your life and trying to instruct you and bring you kind or tender unto himself as he's trying to do all that, but to continue through it all. Listen, there has to be some kind of deep-seated root in order to continue into this, in this anger. There's got to be some kind of deep root for the fruit of anger to be continually produced in his life. And just so you're aware, we never, listen, if we never, if we never deal with the root of the problem, we will always be dealing with the fruit of the problem, right? Forever. So please, we have to deal with the root if we ever want to get rid of that nasty fruit. Just keep that in mind, okay? Many times what you see is just a fruit. There's something deeper. And many times in counseling, that's, that's the goal. When I, when I try to help folks, I try to get really to the root of the problem because if you don't, you're always going to be counseling the fruit. We've got to find the root. And, uh, but what, as we see Jonah here and his continued anger, there's got to be some roots here uh, that's producing this kind of fruit in his life. And though there are many roots to produce anger and wrath and bitterness and all that kind of stuff, could it be, could it be there's a couple of roots potential in his life that we can see? And what are those roots, preacher? Well, number one, consider this root in his life, the root of pride. All right, where do you see that? Okay. Look at verse number two with me. Again, in chapter four, verse number two, and we'll read through verse three as well. And I encourage you, if you have a habit of marking your Bible, to circle all the personal pronouns in these two verses. All right, look at it with me. And he prayed unto the Lord, that's Jonah, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before Natarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take I, or I'm sorry, take I'm sorry, therefore now, uh, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. If you marked in your Bible, you'll notice there's at least nine personal pronouns connected back to Jonah. Again, in our text this morning, look at verse number eight. And it came to pass when the sun did, did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he, that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Nine times, personal pronoun, he, he addressed himself nine times in verses 2 and 3. And again, in verse number 8 through 9, he said he wished or he begged in himself to die. He says, it's better for me to die than to live. It seems to me that Jonah's focus here was all on himself. He was missing God's point of view. He was missing God's vantage point and really missing the entire heartbeat of God on the matter. We've talked about that before, especially as we looked in chapter number, uh, number 3. But his focus was completely on himself. And listen, if it's all about us and we don't get our way, what will happen? <laughs> Look out, right? 
Uh, look out. We'll, we'll have angry outbursts. We'll have wrathful thoughts. We'll do, have harmful intentions and so much more. But it stems from what? Those things stem from what? It stems from, from pride. And understand pride runs deep into our human nature and is not very easily rooted out, but it needs to be. But it's not very easily rooted, rooted out, but yet nothing will do greater damage as undetected and unleashed pride in our lives. Listen to what the Bible says. When it comes to this matter of pride, the Bible says in Proverbs 29 and 23, a man's pride shall bring him low. Proverbs 26, 12, Seest thou a wise man in his own conceit, meaning his pride? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Galatians 6, 3, For for a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Meaning this, that means what was it that brought the person low? What was it that brought about the fall in that person's life, that destruction in that life? It was this, pride. Pride brings us low. It can bring destruction. And if we allow pride in our lives, it will disrupt our lives at best and destroy it at worst. And that is why, listen, that is why the stinking devil, I hate that guy, that is why he will sling that fiery dart every single time in your life to disrupt it. Yep. But his ultimate goal to destroy it. He knows the, the chaos it can bring. He knows the trouble it will cause. He knows the fruit of pride because he's living proof of it. Do you know the devil's name before he was a devil? Starts with an L, ends with an Lucifer. Lucifer, that's right. <laughs> Lucifer. You know, he's not always been considered the devil. He's not always been considered the adversary. No. He was at one time a beautiful, anointed cherub. The Bible says in Ezekiel 28, verse 13 through 15, Thou hast been in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold. The workmanship of thy taverns and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Understand Lucifer was perfect in all of his ways till iniquity was found. But what was that iniquity? What was that sin? What was it that made the devil the devil? Well, Isaiah tells us, gives us a glimpse into what it was that made Lucifer the devil. Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 15. How art thou fallen o, from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high yet. 
Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Understand Lucifer, one of the most beautiful created cherubs. Listen, he is made disgusting and will suffer destruction. In the lake of fire forever. Why? One little word that causes so much chaos and trouble. Pride. There are other examples we look at in Scripture. And actually I want to look at a couple. And by the way, just so you know. When I, I like using illustrations and examples from Scripture because this verse right here tells us why we should do that. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All right? All Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and all of it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen, we have something to learn from all these examples. All these illustrations we've seen in Scripture, and we have something to gain from these examples we find. All right? So another one is this. Here's another example. Have you ever heard of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> I'm sure you have. You, most of you know the story. Or Lot, Abraham's nephew, would end up residing there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it would seem he'd be some kind of mayor or something of that, of that city. And uh, how, because of the sinfulness of the city, it was going to be destroyed by fire and brimstone. Even the angels had to come down and get Lot and his family out. Remember that? But do you know why it was about to be destroyed? Do you know why Sodom and Gomorrah was about to suffer the fire and brimstone falling down from heaven? You say, yeah, I know why. Their gross immorality, their their loose living, their open, blatant lustfulness, I'm painting a little bit broad terms. I know there's some little ears in here, but you know what I'm trying to say. All that nastiness that was going on, surely that's why he was going to, he was going to destroy this city, the sodomy of the city. That's why he was going to do it. No, look. What if I told you that wasn't the sin, but rather was just a product, a byproduct of the sin of the city? You see, the root of the sin of the city was, was this. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Behold, this is the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. The first on the list is this one. Pride. Understand pride is what caused the destruction of that city. And all the other sins are just byproducts of that root. That was just fruit of the root of pride. Again, Nebuchadnezzar is a great example he was so great in the eyes of many, including himself. But after seven years of living like a wild beast in the field, he said this, Daniel 4, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. No doubt he walked in pride for almost his entire life toward, till towards the end when God brought him low. How about the Pharisees in the New Testament? Uh, these men knew so much about God, knew so much about the Bible. They seen and even experienced the many miracles that Christ performed in his three years of earthly ministry. Even one of their own said this in John chapter 3, verse number 2. Nicodemus said, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we, he's including him and everybody else around him, all the other Pharisees, all the other religious leaders, he said, we know. Thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. 
We know there's more to you than just a mere teacher, more than just a mere man. No, there's more. And we all know this. They knew so much truth. They saw so much light, yet these New Testament Pharisees, what did they do? They refused to believe on Jesus Christ as their Messiah, even though they knew it. Why? One little word. Pride. The Bible says in Matthew 23, 37-38, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem! Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. There's an exclamation point there at that end of that verse. He is heartbroken. This is Jesus looking over Jerusalem saying this. He's heartbroken over all the people, and yes, including these Pharisees. He said, I I wanted you, but you didn't want me. You wouldn't do it. Why? Their pride. All I'm trying to tell you this morning is this. Pride is a root to many things. And it is a killer. A lot of poisonous fruit can come from this poisonous root of pride. In Jonah, it would seem he's so prideful in this moment in Jonah chapter 4. God dealing with him so tenderly and kindly and graciously and being so good to him but he's still so full of anger and wrath. And God said, doest thou well to be angry not once but twice? And he said, yeah, I do well to be angry. Yeah, I'm mad. Why? John's because it's all about you. Your focus is wrong. So could it be that pride is a root for his continued temper toward Nineveh and, yes, toward the Lord as well? Absolutely. What's another one? Quickly. Here's a second one. I believe that bitterness, no doubt, was a root that took root in his life. The Bible even talks about bitterness being a root. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness, understand, is a root that can produce very destructive and, listen, Angry fruit. The verse I'm, uh, two verses I'm about to read to you in just a moment. I read them and preached them, but I didn't put these two and two together until this week. I was like, wow, and of course, of course bitterness is the root that produces this stuff. But Ephesians chapter number four and verse 31 through 32, maybe you want to write that in the margin of your Bible and go back and look at it a little bit later. But look how, how Paul, uh, really the Holy Spirit, all right, this is, this is inspired word of God through the pen of Paul. Look how he puts it for us. In black letters on white paper. Listen. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness. All right, that's the first thing. He was talking about grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. All right, he's talking about that. Then he says these things uh, will, will grieve the Holy Spirit. The first one he puts on the list is bitterness. So could it be that bitterness is that root from which all these other things about to read to you is fruit from that root? All right. Let all bitterness. Now listen to everything that follows. And wrath. And anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So did you know that, that from bitterness you'll have the fruit of wrath and anger and evil speaking, unforgiveness? Look, that's just fruit of the root 
of bitterness. And ultimately, it will end in malice. And malice, by the way, is a very, that's a rough one. We don't say, a lot. We don't say that a lot. We, we may say, maybe in court they'll say with malicious intent. Uh, well, we don't say malice a lot today. But understand, that is a very strong word. And it means this. Malice is this. It's someone who has a desire to inflict harm, bodily injury, or even death. That's their desire. That's what they want. Where does it come from? Bitterness. Bitterness. That's where it all stems from. So if you're an angry individual, constantly, I understand, we have our moments, especially when you drive on I-26, you have your moments, all right? Yes, we need to pray for each other as we travel up and down the interstate. Amen. You have your moments. It seems like some folks, their blinker fluid has run out. You have your moments. <laughs> Maybe they don't make signals on those models today. I don't know, but whatever. I get it. You have your moments. But I'm talking about constantly, consistently, just always mad. Just mad. Could it be there's a deeper problem, a deeper root than just, I'm just mad. Well, why? That's just how I am. Mm, why? Jonah, God is looking at you, and you, yes, you're angry. He said, doest thou well to be angry? You ignored him. And finally, you answered that second time he asked you, doest thou well to be angry? I do well. Jonah, whoa. What's going on? A deeper root in your life, my friend than just being mad that God spared Nineveh? Or could it be that he was so prideful that led to his hatred of Nineveh, so prideful that led to his anger against Nineveh, so prideful and bitter that God would spare him, that it led even to his, his anger toward God? I dare say it could be. And if you allow pride, if we, I say you, I mean us, if we allow pride and bitterness to have root in our lives, listen, we will be angry. We will be wrathful people. And we will be miserable to be around. So is that root evident? Maybe it is. What do you do about it? I mean, maybe we identify the root here, but what do we do about the root? What do we do about the root in our own lives today? What do we do about it? Because remember, I said in the very beginning, if you don't deal with the root, you're always going to be having to deal with the fruit, right? How do you deal with the root? How do we deal with it? We know, we know that anger's wrong. We know that bitterness is, is wrong. But how can we overcome it? How can we have victory in this area of our lives? How can we defend against it even? How do we do this? Well, listen, I don't have it all figured out, all right? I promise you that. I don't. I am not perfect. Your Savior and your Bible is, but your pastor is not, all right? I don't have it all figured out, but in a nutshell, I think here's a good um, potential answer for all that. I mentioned it at the very beginning when it came to Jonah. But here it is. How do we combat against that root? How do we pluck it out of our life? Well, where's your focus? Where is your focus this morning? Again, Jonah, his focus was where? On himself. That's why he was angry. That's why he was full of rage. And I'm going to say a phrase, all right? I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to finish it. But it's a phrase that our Savior said in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. But I want to, I'm going to start the phrase, and I want you to finish it, all right? Jesus said this as he's praying in the garden. Not my will, but thine. Thine be done. 
Understand Jesus who is fully God and yet fully man all at the same time. Not 50-50, no, he was 100 and 100 all at the same time. He was focused upon the will of the Father. And because he was focused upon the Lord, upon, upon the Father, he did this. He humbled himself to do the Father's will. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So could it be the key that would unlock this... Uh, this uh, root of pride and bitterness really to get it out of our lives could the key be to getting there could it be humility I dare say oh yeah humble yourself humble yourself and I know that humility and humbling ourselves it goes against every fallen fleshly uh, fiber of our body alright because you don't want to do that no 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 we want to be in our pride and stay there. We don't want to humble ourselves. But that's the key. And there's no uh, five-step program to becoming, humil- or, uh, becoming humble, all right? Uh, there's, no, um, there's no book of uh, ten most humble men in the world and how I train the other nine, okay? That does not exist, all right? Uh, there's, no, there's no two-step program, five-step program. No, here's two pills, call me in the morning, you'll be humble. There's none of that. No, no, no. When it comes to humility... Humility comes this way as a simple act of your own will. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's what James said. Peter said it as well. Let me read those verses to you, all right? James chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Peter, he said this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that it may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Uh, Listen, James and Peter, they knew what they were talking about, but especially Peter. And when Peter says to humble yourself, uh, do it of the act of your own will, humble yourselves, he's not speaking just some fine Christianese, all right? No, no, no. He is speaking from experience. He is talking out of the overflow of how God, how the Lord Jesus taught, taught him. Remember, it was one day that he said this to Jesus when Jesus looked at all of them and said, you guys are going to forsake me. All you guys are going to flee and you're going to forsake me. What did Peter say? He said, hey, now hold on a minute. Though all forsake you, I will not forsake you. I'm willing to even go into death with you. That's what he said. Though all men forsake, I'm not going to, but we know what happened. We know that he denied the Lord. We know that he cursed and fled. We know that he forsook Jesus. But when he said that phrase, though all men forsake you, though I will not, what he was saying is this. No, 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 I know what you said, Lord, but my will or I will not do that. I won't do this. I won't do that. No, 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 not me. 
He was not humbling himself and taking what Jesus was trying to teach and tell them. Why? His focus was on himself. And because of that, yes, he denied, he cursed, he fled, forsook. He forsook the Lord. So, at one time, Peter was so full of himself and so full of pride that he took a fall, and no doubt the old devil smiled at that. But, but, we read, have the privilege of reading ahead in his life in Scripture, and we see that in John chapter 21, he came back and had that time of sweet fellowship with, with those disciples, and Peter being one of them, and had, a, had an intimate teaching time with, with Peter. And as Peter humbled himself before the Lord that day, God used him later on. You see in Scripture in the book of Acts where on the day of Pentecost 3,000 were saved. But who was the preacher? Peter. Later on you can see at the, at the temple, again, Peter preached and 5,000 men, let alone women and children, God saved. You can see in chapter 10 how it was God used Peter to open the, uh, the gospel to the Gentiles as he led Cornelius and his household to the Lord. God used him in many ways. And of course, the epistles that bear his name, God used this man. But when? He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. He willingly did it, finally, right? Finally, humbled himself, and God used him. Understand something this morning. God uses humble people. Well, the devil uses prideful people. Who do you want to be used by? So in this moment, Jonah was so full of anger, it seemed he couldn't get over what God was doing. Why? Man, there was a root there. It would seem that that root was, was that pride and bitterness, but what he needed to do was to simply humble himself once again on the mighty hand of God. But it would seem he refused. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verse number 9. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? He said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much, much cattle? The book of Jonah concludes with an unanswered question. And we'll take time to look at that next, next time, at an unanswered question. But I think it's, I'll give you a, kind of a, a hint to leading up to that message. I think it's un, left unanswered from Jonah because it needs to be answered by us. And we'll look at that question next time. But Jonah, in that moment, what God's trying to get him to do, look, Jonah, no man, look, humble yourself once more under the mighty hand of God and let him use you again as he did in chapter 3 when you humbled yourself in chapter 2. Jonah, humble yourself. Listen, our world is so full of anger, so full of pride, so full of hatefulness and bitterness. And you know what the world needs to see? It needs to see believers. A church that is filled with people who love God and love one another. It needs to see Christians who are walking 
in the Spirit and seeing that fruit come from their life, not the works of the flesh. We've been looking at that in Galatians chapter 5 on Wednesday evenings and we've been stuck there for several Wednesdays as we're considering the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. But they need to see, people need to see the fruit of the Spirit come from your life, not just a preacher, not just the deacons and Sunday school teachers. No, no, no. Needs to see it from you. That's the fruit they need to see. And by the way, Jesus wants to see it too. Walk in the Spirit and have this fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That is complete opposite of John in this moment. Is he's so full of anger. So I'm encouraging you this morning. Humble yourself. I'm going to encourage myself too. Let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and submit to Him. The Bible says in James 4, 6 through 7, But He giveth more grace, wherefore He saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Period. So what is it that maybe the Lord's put His finger upon your heart this morning? What is it? But well, I'm going to encourage you to do this. God doesn't just put his finger on something in our life to make us feel bad. Remember, he brings conviction to correct us and draw us closer to him. The devil brings guilt and leaves that guilt there. No, God corrects it so we can have sweet fellowship with him. So if God puts something on your heart, I'm going to encourage you to do this. Don't let that push you further away. Rather, let it draw you closer to him. As James said, draw nigh unto the Lord, and he will draw nigh unto you. So whatever it is this morning, draw closer to the Lord. Because that's the whole purpose behind it. God wants you closer to him. He wanted Jonah closer to him in this moment. That's the whole purpose of the teaching, what he was doing. He wanted him closer. So I'm encouraging you. I can't make you. I can tell you to him, blue in the face, I can stay another 30, 45 minutes and saying it over and over to come close to God, but you have to do it. Again, it's an act of your will to humble yourself and come close to your Savior. Will you do that today? A great, great place to start is at this altar. Just come close to him today.